Matthew's Gospel, chapter 21, is Matthew's version of the story of Jesus entering Jerusalem, riding on the back of a donkey, and being greeted with shouts of praise and acclamation. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna means save now. Hosanna to the son of David. For these people understood an ancient prophecy which hundreds of years before invited the people of God to celebrate and to praise in anticipation of the coming of Messiah. And as Jesus entered triumphantly into Jerusalem, humbly but triumphantly, crowds lined the streets, shouting their praises to God. These were shouts not only of promise, but of prophetic fulfillment. Zion's king has arrived. But as we go through the story which leads on to the events of Easter week, which we will be thinking about this Easter week leading up to Good Friday, Easter Sunday, their praises, the praises that had come spontaneously from people who could see prophecy being fulfilled before their very eyes, triumph, kingship. Their praise had, however, to connect with the deeper counsel of God. Messiah must first suffer and then enter his glory. Tonight, I want you to learn how to praise in such a way that it connects you both to promise and fulfillment and ultimately unlocks for you the deeper mysteries of God for your life. I want you to have Matthew 21 open in your Bibles, your paper Bibles, please. And you can have a look, a glance through verses 1 through to end of verse 17. That's the whole passage. I'm just going to focus for a moment on Matthew 21 verse 9. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. They were, of course, recognizing that this was the fulfillment of an age-old prophetic promise. One that hundreds of years ago came from the mouth of the prophet Zechariah, we see it in chapter 9 and verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I want you to recognize, first of all, when we speak about the power of prophetic praise, is that it recognizes both promise and fulfillment. When you receive a promise from the Lord, you should welcome it 
with joy and praise and thanksgiving in anticipation of its fulfillment. We don't want to go from promise to promise to promise without coming into fulfillment. I also want you to know that it's important for you to praise God in advance of the fulfillment before it is manifested. And this is what must have happened when Zechariah announced to the people of his generation, preaching probably in public, in the public place, in the public squares, or wherever he had an opportunity to raise his voice. He said, rejoice greatly. Why? Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Why? Your king is coming to you. This was hundreds of years before the event was fulfilled, but I am sure that the people of God whose hearts were full of faith, who were ready to hear the word of the Lord, would rejoice in that generation in anticipation of the generation that was to come when this promise was to be fulfilled. And then fast forward to those years that we see recorded now, the incident in Matthew 21. The promise moves to fulfillment. Now they say, Hosanna in the highest. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. In the earlier message that was preached to you today by Gordon Neal, he very rightly linked the first coming as a pointing towards the second coming. We have the promise of Jesus' second coming. There are more prophecies, more promises in the Bible assuring us that Jesus is coming again than they were in the first instance promising his first coming. So now is the time to rejoice prophetically. Jesus Christ is coming again. We live in the light of that promise. And everything that we do takes meaning from the light of the fact that he is coming again. So now we live in perpetual joy and rejoicing in anticipation of the prophetic promise being fulfilled. After all, God's promises are always sure and certain. When God says it, it's a done deal. Can you imagine what it will be like when Jesus Christ returns and we will see the one whom we love, who is at the moment invisible from our eyes. We see him with the eyes of faith. We rejoice in that knowledge with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And we celebrate now and we can shout aloud now, but can you imagine what it will be like when they we actually see him. The praise in that day will, be, will surpass anything that we have experienced before. That's why we praise now in advance of that fulfillment. When God speaks, it is sure and certain. No word goes forth from its mouth and returns to him empty. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 speaks about this in relation to Faith, our faith. He says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now those words carry their own meaning. We have by faith the substance of something, the reality of something in advance of its future manifestation. 
So this is the paradox. We know him now by faith, and that faith is substance. We can grab hold of it. We know that we know that we know. And this drives people who've not yet understood who Jesus is. It drives them crazy. They say, well, what makes you right? We say, well, I'm not saying I'm right. We know who Jesus is, and he is right. How can you be sure? We have the testimony of the Word of God. We have the experience with the Holy Spirit. And we have the attestation of the Spirit of God implanting in us the substance of faith, which is so strong, we live by it. It is more real to us than this world around us that we can see and touch. So sure is the promise, so certain is our hope. That's why we live a life of praise and rejoicing. We can rejoice always in the big story. You know, the Bible says, rejoice, and I say it again, rejoice, rejoice always. How can we be always rejoicing? There are times when we are sorrowful, and that is right, but the joy that we have surpasses any momentary affliction or sorrow that we pass through because we rejoice in the big story. This is the object of our praise. This is the subject of our worship. We rejoice in the big story, the main themes of the gospel. God so loved the world, the story of salvation, the story of deliverance, the story of forgiveness, the story of transformed lives by the power of God, the story of the certain hope of heaven, the certainty of the second coming of Jesus to manifest his fullness, the fullness of his kingdom here on earth into the extent that heaven will have come down to earth. But day by day, we learn also to rejoice in the little stories. The little stories, which when you put them together, they make up the big story. The little stories about you, your salvation, your experience with God, your healing, your deliverance, the answers to your prayers, the triumphs that you have, the difficulties that you persevere through, all these little stories Make the big story of God. God promises to you, not just in the big story, which is the greater story, and our stories make up that big story, but in the tiniest details of your life, God makes you promises. Promises regarding your victory, the victory in your life today, the victory in your circumstances, your family, your career, your employment, your testimony, even indeed in the midst of the trials of your faith. I want to encourage you tonight, praise him now ahead of the manifestation. You're going to praise him then, so why don't you start right now? Psalm 42, verses 9 and 11. Beautiful verses. I give them to you tonight. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Verse 11. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why disturbed, so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet 
Praise him, my saviour and my God. Can you do that? Can you do that advance in advance of the manifestation? When you look around your circumstances and you see everything is just not as I want it to be, can you take time in the midst of those circumstances to praise God? You're going to look very foolish later on when you see now, see that there was nothing ever to worry about. Jesus had it in his hand. It's all under his control and he's working out his purposes and you are going to see the glory of the Lord. Rejoice now for that day is coming, declares the Lord. Can I have an amen in the house of God? Are you hearing this tonight? Amen. So prophetic praise recognizes both the promise and can praise when the promise is only a promise, as well as the fulfillment when the promise comes to pass. Now, second thing I want to share with you is this. Prophetic praise cannot be silenced. Hello? True prophetic praise cannot be silenced because it rests its hope in God. The kind of emotional praise, I feel good, I clap my hands. I don't feel so good, I won't pray, and I won't praise. But prophetic praise looks beyond the circumstances, sees the promise of God, and will not be silenced. Once we heard a story in our Elam uh, uh, leadership meeting of somebody came in and they gave their testimony. And it started like this. It said, well, that's it, but it gets worse. And he went on saying it gets worse. Went on, it gets worse. And it got worse and worse and worse. We had to encourage him. My dear brother, don't look at the worses. Look at the one who is good. Look at the one who has promised you. And if you catch a vision of this, nobody is going to stop you praising the Lord. They could pour a mask over your mouth. It doesn't matter. Nobody can silence you. In fact, when you know what it is to praise the God, praise the Lord, you discover your power to silence the enemy. Did you know that? Yes, it's true. Now in Luke 19, verses 19, 39 and 40, that's Luke's version, which I'm dipping into. This is what he says. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. What for? Well, they're praising. What a religious spirit is there that says, stop God's people from praising the Lord. And you know, there is a Pentecostal song that says, I can't stop, I can't stop, I can't stop praising the Lord. I can't stop, I can't stop, I can't stop praising the Lord. It goes on and on and on. You can't stop praising the Lord when you've seen the prophetic vision that God has for your life. You can't stop. Verse 40, Jesus answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Jesus said, let them speak. Let them keep praising because if they don't praise, the stones of this street, the stones of this pavement, the stones of the buildings in Jerusalem, the stones of the temple itself will praise the Lord. So you better let them keep on praising God. You can't silence prophetic praise. 
Now back to Matthew's version, chapter 21, verses 15 to 16. This praise carried on, it was not just the procession along the streets of Jerusalem. It seems as if Jesus went straight through the city gates and he went all the way to the temple and the crowds followed him and they were still declaring in the temple, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Let's read it. Matthew 21, verse 15. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, by the way, he went into the temple, he started healing people. I mean, that was embarrassing for the rest of them, wasn't he? He was healing people and miracles and signs and wonders were happening in the very temple. And then, they, uh, uh, then when they saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant indignant. Now, pause. Dictionary time. Does anybody know the meaning of indignant? It comes from the word dignity. It's another word for anger. But anger that comes when something is done which isn't worthy. It shouldn't happen. All right, that's the word indignant. Now, these religious people were indignant. They had no right to be indignant because these people were giving to Jesus the praise that was due to him. It was praise to the one who was worthy. And they didn't recognize his worth. Therefore, they said, you shouldn't be giving this person that honor. But they were wrong. When you see who Jesus is, you will give him the dignity, and nobody will have a right to be indignant over your praise and worship because you are giving them. You are giving him the glory, and actually, you should be indignant over them because they're not behaving in a worthy manner. And then it says, verse 16, and they said to him, did you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. Wonderful. Now that is a quotation from Psalm 8 and verse 2. Let me read you the full verse from Psalm 8 verse 2. And listen carefully. This is what Jesus left out in the quotation. But they knew the verse and they knew what Jesus was saying. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and what? Silence the avenger. Prophetic praise cannot be silenced, but prophetic praise is sure to silence the enemy. This is a very important spiritual principle. I think in these days, and not just, in, not just today, but it's very relevant today, it seems as if there has been a, a, a negative, I would say, demonic outpouring of opposition, of accusation, intimidation, a spirit which is trying to dampen the enthusiasm of God's people. Sometimes we sit at home 
And okay, we might be soon being released a little bit more from lockdown. And there are several ways of responding. Sometimes when people are under pressure, they cope with the pressure by withdrawing, cutting themselves off, and, and somehow submitting to the spiritual environment and the circumstances. But when you learn of the prophetic promises over your life, and when you learn of the power of prophetic praise, you will shake off all every spirit of oppression, every spirit of intimidation, every spirit of accusation, every spirit of opposition, and you will stand up in the presence of God and you will declare the praises of God. And when you do that, you muzzle the enemy. You take his power away from him. You silence the enemy. And it's not just silencing the enemy. Did you see it says silencing the enemy who also acts as an avenger. We know this so many times when there is a breakthrough and life happens and good things happen and we come to a place of triumph and victory, the enemy comes, tries to come back with a spirit of vengeance and uh, retribution, as if to say, don't you dare try that again. But when you learn to continue to push through with praise, through that, you will find that he will be silenced. You will not be silenced. Over and over again, we see the power of prophetic praise to bring about salvation and deliverance and to silence the enemy. Psalm 50 and verse 23. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To the one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. Do you want a deliverance? Do you want a victory in your life? Learn prophetic praise. Uh, and I'm going to explain a bit more about what prophetic praise is. At the moment, I've just established it is, it is praising God for his promises. But now in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 22, it's a great, great chapter. I, I advise you to turn to it and have a look at 2 Chronicles 20, verses tre chapter 21, as well as chapter 22. But here's the key verse. Second uh, Chronicles, so let me say that again. 2 Chronicles 20, look in verse, uh, chapter 19 as well as chapter 20. But the key verse in chapter 20, verse 22 is this. And when they began to sing and praise the Lord, he set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah. So they were routed. Now, this is where we have to learn some of the other elements, the other components that lead you towards prophetic praise. Back in the day, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, had instituted a, 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 mighty, a mighty reform in the nation, reformed the worship, called people back to God. There was a spirit of repentance and then the enemy came against them. Crowds of Moabites, Ammonites and others came against Judah and Jehoshaphat for battle. So they'd already instituted a reform, a spirit of repentance was flowing. All of these are vital components. You can stand in the street and shout praise. It won't do a thing 
unless you've lined up with the prophetic purposes of God. All right, so what happened then was they began to fast. They began to bring God's promises back to him and, and tell him, you know, we believe you. You are the God of power and authority. The Lord raised up a prophet and the prophet declared, this, the battle is not yours. The battle is the Lord's. You won't have to fight in this battle. But when the time comes, when God says, praise me, you won't have to lift up a sword or a spear. You just lift up your hands and praise the holy God. And that's all they did. And as they were praising and celebrating, this was faith. This was spiritual alignment. This was a really high level obedience. And simply, when they began to praise, the Lord himself set ambushes against the enemy and they were routed. And God's people, without having to lift a sword or a spear, were delivered. Amen and amen. So I've mentioned to you already, prophetic praise recognizes both promise and fulfillment. Also, prophetic praise cannot be silenced. Indeed, it silences the enemy. Now, the third thing is this. Prophetic praise links with the deeper purposes of God. You see, we like the victory parade when the battle is over. But there's a price to pay so that the victory can come about. There they were celebrating the coming of Jesus on a donkey and they could see this was messianic fulfillment. This is one of the clearest declarations of Jesus showing himself to be Messiah, coming in according to Zechariah's prophecy, then going to the temple and doing what Messiah was supposed to do, uh, uh, cleanse and restore the temple. This was the clearest manifestation of Jesus as Messiah. And they were excited. Maybe their messianic expectation was like, I don't know, a good number of the Jewish people of that day thought like this, that when Messiah comes, he would lead an army, he would overthrow Rome, and, and, and there would be a political kingdom, a new kingdom of the glory of God. Others had a kindly, a slightly more spiritual view. They expected a sudden outbreaking from heaven, a sudden supernatural manifestation of God's glory that would cause Israel to be exalted amongst the nations and God would establish his glorious rule over all the earth. Well, that first vision is too small. He didn't come to be a politician. The other vision, the idea that there would be a manifestation from heaven was not yet, it was premature. So either way, they missed it. Now then, what I want you to see is this, is that prophetic praise is not just a witness to events. Prophetic praise in itself is the ingredient by which God's purposes come about. Did you know that? It's not just that we praise what God has done or what he's going to do. But when we praise God, God uses our praise 
to connect us with the deeper revelation of God. All those people who were shouting their praise and acclamation on that day, they did not know that their very praise was setting a chain of events in motion that was rapidly accelerating so that within five days, the very reason why they could say Jesus is Messiah, the very reason they could shout the victory was to come about another way. He was to wear not a crown of glory, but a crown of thorns. And in that moment, it was their praise that caused the scribes and Pharisees to be very scared they could see that he was about to be successful. And so they thought, we better stop it. We better do whatever we can to stop it. And now know that it was not the religious leaders themselves who were thinking like this, but it was the demonic powers and principalities whom the Bible says, if they knew what they were doing, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But they fell headlong into the trap and they arrested him and they crucified him. But on the cross, Jesus declared the ultimate triumph, it is finished. And three days later, he was raised again from the dead, King of kings and Lord of lords. Give Jesus a big praise. Amen and amen. They tried to stop him, but they couldn't. They thought they'd outwitted, but there's no religious spirit. There is no oppression, no accusation. Nothing that can come from the enemy that can prevent God from touching your life, from imparting his power, from bringing you into his glory, into his salvation and into his deliverance. So what do we see from this? We see that the discipline of praising God in advance of the manifestation will give us the pleasure of praising him all the more when God's purposes have been brought about in our lives. Think for a moment. That victory parade, that triumph was short-lived, just a few hours. There were crowds there, but not the multitudes who now have learned to praise God. Greater praise results from the deeper purposes of God in the cross than the praises which were provoked by his entry into Jerusalem. So when you praise God in the midst of your circumstances, be sure, be absolutely certain about it. God is working greater than what is evident to your eyes. And in this way, prophetic praise is powerful. Learn it, use it. It's a powerful key for your life. Mm -hmm.